Hi. Can I be real this morning? Okay. So my morning started out fine. This has nothing to do with my sermon. This is just how, you know, life works so that you understand. So my morning started out fine. Poppy woke us up about 27. I thought I'll be a really nice wife. I'll get up with the puppy and let James sleep. So I did. I got up with the puppy and I went and did my devotions in the living room and I sat and spent some time praying, went over my sermon. And then everyone else woke up. And life turned into chaos. Uh, you know, it's just things change. And then we get here and it's like just a little bit of chaos in my brain. But... God is still good. He still wants to speak. So in that moment as we're sitting there and I'm trying to, you know, uh, prepare myself to come up here and share his word, God reminds you of those things that he is still good. He is still on his throne and he still wants to speak this morning. But I feel like that is real life, right? Of like, hey, you know what? You have a plan and you're going to go with the plan you're going to work on the plan, and then life throws a wrench in it. And then you're like, well, God, are you, are you still good? I'm not really sure, because I thought my plan was really good, and apparently your plan is different than my plan, and I'm not sure what I think about that. It really is the way life goes, and this morning we're actually, to be honest, talking about one of those topics, one of those topics that really, when we break it down to its core fundamental problems is do we believe that God's plan and God's thoughts and God's character is better than ours? The topic we're talking about this morning really comes down to that in a nutshell. What do we believe about God's character? Do we believe that he is above us? Do we believe that he thinks beyond how we think? Do we believe that he sees beyond what we see? That is really the topic that we're going to be talking about this morning. If you want to open your Bibles, which is what I was saying when my mic turned off, to Exodus, if you have a Bible, if you don't have a Bible, a concrete Bible, please ask us and we will get you one. There's something important about opening the Word of God and having it present with you and being able to read it. Exodus 34 is where we're going to go. Let me set up our story this morning. So the Israelites had, um, they were in slavery in Egypt. God rescued them from slavery in Egypt by all these miraculous signs, all this stuff happened, and God rescues the Israelites out of Egypt. And then they go from Egypt into uh, being chased down by Pharaoh's army because he changes his mind, and God parts the Red Sea, and the Israelites walk across this, this, this dry land. Moments later, after they get out of the dry land, Pharaoh's army's chasing after them, and God ca causes the Red Sea now to collapse onto Pharaoh's army. He rescues them. They're in the desert. They have no food. They have nothing. And, and they're complaining to God. And they're saying, why did he even save us? And God graciously now gives them manna. Basically like, you know, flatbread. Shows up every morning for them to eat for that day. Every day, God's saying, I'm going to provide for you. I do wonder sometimes what they thought was really happening after a while. If they figured out some scientific way how manna was showing up every morning. And it possibly could not be God. It possibly just could be that this manna somehow appeared every morning from the ground like a mushroom. Only had a lifespan of a day. 
Isn't that also what we do, right? We, we try to explain away the miracles that God does in our lives. We try to make them make sense to us instead of saying, well, maybe God just showed up. So the Israelite people, they're going through this. They've been saved. They've been brought through the Red Sea. They watch the Red Sea now collapse on the army that was chasing after them. They watch God show up and bring them bread every morning, sustenance, food, and then they complain. They say, we want meat. Where did all the meat go? And he says, fine, I'll take away the bread and all I'll give you is meat. And then all they get is meat. And then they complain about the meat. Also what we do to God, right? We're like, hey, God, I don't like what you're actually giving me. I want this. And he says, fine, I'll give you that. And then we complain because he's giving us that and said, well, bring us back. We just, want, we just want bread again. I'm done eating meat. You see this gracious heart of God continually showing up for his people over and over and over again. So we get to this time, and, and there's this nation of millions kind of living in the desert. We're like, okay, we need some laws. We need something to govern ourselves by. So Moses goes up to the mountain and God shows up and he gives them what we know as the Ten Commandments and a whole lot of other things, but we know these Ten Commandments that are built on these, or written on these tablets. Moses isn't gone very long, but in the short time, Moses is gone. Their leader leaves them for this short period of time. What do they do? They decide, well, we don't know anymore. We have no leader. We don't know what's going on. Let's gather all the things God's given us, all this gold that we have, and let's make a cow. Let's make a calf that now we can worship the calf because who knows if God's here. I mean, it sounds ridiculous on this side, listening to all the things that have happened, right? We're like, what are they doing? Like, they watched God do all these miracles, and then Moses disappears. Their pastor disappears for like a couple days. And everyone falls apart. It's like, we, we don't know what we're doing. Let's build a calf out of gold and start worshiping it. Really, what it's saying is, let's go back to what we were doing before because this seems a little bit too unsure. I'm just not sure this is what I want to do anymore. How often do we do that? Life throws us a bit of a wrench and we're not totally sure. I mean, they're still getting food showing up every morning, but still, that wasn't enough of a miracle for them to remember who God was. It was still like, well, I'm just not sure. Let's build a calf and worship a calf. So Moses comes down from the mountain. He's got these tablets that had the Ten Commandments written on them. Moses is so angry that he throws the tablets down and they smash into a whole bunch of pieces. Then God's like, wait a second, like, come on, Moses. So Moses goes back up to the mountain, and this is where we pick up our story. Moses was mad at his people. He's like, what are you doing? Like, I was gone for a few days. You all fell apart. What is going on? Moses in that moment is like, I'm done. You all deserve to die. He's mad. Hopefully none of us get that mad, but he's mad at his people. And God's like, okay, come on, we're going to have a little more of a conversation here. So Moses goes back up to the mountain, and this is where we pick up our story. God actually tells Moses, he says, now go get two more rocks, two more of these tablets, and come back and see me. So Moses is back up speaking to God. And that's where we pick up our story this morning, Exodus 34, verse 4. You ready? So Moses chiseled out two stone tablets like the first ones and went up to Mount Sinai early in the morning as the Lord had commanded him. And he carried the two stone tablets in his hands. 
Then the Lord came down in a cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming. So God comes and he passes in front of Moses and then he speaks of who he is. He says, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to the thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin, yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sins of the fathers to the third and fourth generation. Moses bowed to the ground at once and worshiped. O Lord, if I have found favor in your eyes, he said, then let the Lord go with us. Although this is a stiff-necked people, forgive our wickedness and our sin and take us as your inheritance. Then the Lord said, I am making a covenant with you before all your people. I will do wonders never before done in any nation in all the world. The people you live among will see how awesome is the work that I, the Lord, will do for you. So Moses goes up and he says, hey God, you told me to bring these tablets because you're going to give us law again. And God says, you're right. Because let me tell you who I am. Let me tell you who I am. This passage actually brings up one of these fundamental questions we have. That is, how do we marry God's wrath and justice with his grace and love? If you've been a Christian for longer, maybe you're here and you're not, maybe you're watching online and you're not, I promise you, you wrestled with this question, how can a God that is all loving, filled with grace, send people to hell? How many people have been asked that question in their lifetime? How can a God who is all loving, filled with grace, send people to hell? It is a real question. The opposite is we end up with Christians who feel the opposite. How can a God who is just allow such sin to happen in the world? How can a God who is just allow things like the, the, uh, all of the um, problems that we see when we watch the news, the wars, the genocides, the abuse of children, how does a God who is just allow these things to be a part of our world? And often we fall into one of those two camps. We want to see God's justice or we want to see God's love. And somehow we see them as two different gods instead of one. This passage actually brings that all together and says, no, actually, I'm all of those things. I want you to think of two questions this morning. The first one is this. What do you think it would be like to live in a world that had immense compassion and grace, but no consequence for wrongdoing? Think about it for a moment. What would it be like to live in a world where there was immense compassion and grace, but there was no consequence for wrongdoing? Every time you hear of something happening to a small child it's okay, because we live in a world with compassion and grace. Every time we hear of something being done that irks our spirit, it's okay, because we live in a world with compassion and grace. 
There's probably not one person here that's, li that's actually listening that's saying, yeah, that's okay with me. There's something that's built in us to want justice for the unjust. The opposite side of that is think on this. What would it be like to live in a world with consequence for wrongdoing but no compassion? What would it be like to live in a world that had consequence for every wrongdoing, every sin, everything that went wrong? There is consequence, and consequence immediate, but no compassion. If you think about your own life, what would that look like? Your spouse never had grace and compassion because you were just having a bad day. Your friend never accepted forgiveness because you deserved unforgiveness. Neither of those options are really where we land of being what we want the world to look like, of what we actually think justice means. Because it isn't what justice means. So really, when we wrestle with this question of is God loving or is God just, what we wrestle with is, is God smarter, more capable of understanding justice than us? Is God capable and smarter at understanding true love than us. That's what we're really wrestling with. We're wrestling with, do we want to let go of control of these things and allow God to control them, or do we want to be in control of them? That is the true question that we're wrestling with. We're wrestling with, what are the attributes of God? Who is God? Does God deserve our trust? Does he deserve us to take a step back and say, you know more than I do? You see more than I do? I think the only way that we land there at truly understanding and seeing the entirety of who God is is by understanding the attributes of who he is, by understanding the characteristics of who he is. This passage brings all those characteristics to light. It actually talks about, before he goes in and says, yes, I will do justice, there will be consequence for those that don't want forgiveness, that aren't accepting my grace. There's consequence for those. But before he says, hey, yeah, I am a God of wrath, there is going to be that point. Which he does say in this passage, he starts by saying, let me tell you what else I am. Let me tell you about the characteristics that are engulfed in who I am. This morning, we're going to unpack those characteristics a little bit. We're going to truly understand why God is worth our trust, worth believing that he sees more than we do. The first attribute that it says, it says this, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate. The word compassionate there in the Hebrew is this word called rachim. It's actually related to the word of for womb. There's this idea behind it that there is a connectedness and a safety in the Lord's compassion. See, when you think about a womb and it, it raising a baby in that womb, there's a connectedness between that baby and the mom. 
There's a safety and a protection and a nourishment that comes from that baby in the womb. And this word that God uses for himself is actually connected to that. It says, I have compassion to, to keep you safe. I have compassion to nourish you, to be connected to you. The Lord's compassion is directly connected to our connectedness to him. You get that? The Lord's compassion is directly connected to our connectedness to him. Sometimes we're like, but I don't feel God, that God is very compassionate. My question would be, when's the last time you did what Moses did, which is get on his face and say, God, I know we're stiff-necked, and I know, that, I know we think we know better, but please forgive us, be with us, be connected to us. Because what I see time and time and time again through Scripture is that God is willing to connect with us when we humbly come before him. God becomes distant from us when our pride and other things distance ourselves from him. It's not because he's moved anywhere, it's because we probably have. In Ephesians chapter 4, it says this. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. It says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Be compassionate to one another because the Lord has been compassionate to you. There's an expectation that when we understand God's compassion for us, that we then will give compassion to others. The second word that we see that God uses to explain himself is the word ken. It's grace, faithfulness, and favorable. Grace and favorable. In the New Testament, the word is charis. It's very close to grace, but charis, it's the same word, just in a different language. It actually means gracious gift. What is he saying? He's saying, my grace is a gift that you don't deserve. My grace is a gift that you don't deserve. In Ephesians, again, Chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, it says this, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourself, it is a gift of God, not by works so that no man, no man can boast. It is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourself. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no man can boast. The next verse actually goes on and it says, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. See, God has created you for a purpose and a plan, but your purpose and your plan is not what saves you. All of your good deeds is actually not what saves you at all. What God is saying, I have given you this gracious gift. What Christ did on that cross, it says, I will take on all of the consequence of your sin if you accept my gift. See, justice must be served. But the difference between God's justice is, and ours is that God has given us a way for that justice to be served by Christ. We have to choose that gift 
Again, we fall into one of two categories often as Christians where we say we need to earn something and if we're not checking all the boxes, then we must not understand salvation because here is what the Bible says we must do. God says, no, you're right. If you want to fulfill justice on your own for your own life, if you want to deal with the consequence of your sin for eternity, you're welcome to do that, but you have no capability of it. What Christ did on that cross, it says, I'm giving you a way for, for uh, me to fulfill the justice that you deserve. Grace, God's character, what he calls himself, he says, I'm giving you a gracious gift. I'm giving you my grace. I'm giving you a way to myself that is beyond anything you can do. The next word that he uses for himself is this, slow to anger, slow to anger. The actual phrase there is not slow to anger. If you wanted to, to uh, directly translate this phrase, it actually is long of nose. It's a pretty funny phrase, right? You're like, what the heck does that mean? Well, we all have slang. We all have things that we use in, in our language. Long of nose to them means slow to anger. To have a short nose, to be short-nosed, means to be quick-tempered. That's their saying. So it's the opposite of being quick-tempered. Here's what it does not say. It does not say that God doesn't get angry. You even see that when you see the gifts of the Holy Spirit, right? The fruit of the Spirit is slow to anger. God get, gets angry at injustice, just like we do. He just has a longer fuse than we do. He has an ability to pair his, his anger with grace and compassion. He says, I'm going to give you a long time, and then I'm going to get a little annoyed. This morning, part of my morning, is my girls have a cake business. Those of you who don't know, they have a cake business. They make beautiful, delicious cakes. What that means, though, is that I am their, uh, their grocery delivery service for their cake business. So I also have another part-time job that I don't get paid for. Seems to be my life. <laughs> so, you know, part of that is I'm like, okay, I need ingredients. James and I are going away to a conference this weekend down at the coast, and so I'm leaving tomorrow morning, so I'm like, I need all your groceries by Sunday morning so I can get them after church to make sure you have everything you need because I'm not going to be home to go and pick up the thing you forgot. So I need a list. So I have told them for the last three days, I need your list of your groceries. I need your list of your groceries. They still like, give me a list last night. Hey, Talia, I need a list of your groceries. Yeah, 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 yeah. She's off doing who knows what, because that is Talia. Tell her again, Talia, I need your list of your groceries. So this morning I get up, she gets up, she's out there. I'm like, Talia, I need, have you got me a list of your groceries? No, but I think I know in my head what I need. No, that is not good enough. I need you to go, I need you to get a list, and I gave her step by step. You need to go look in the freezer and see what you have and what you need me to get. You need to look in the fridge and see what you have and tell me what you need me to get. Put a list together so you can text it to me so I have a list before we leave for church. Well, we are literally putting on our shoes to go out to the car. Tally, you got your grocery list. I think so. What do you mean you think so? Did you check the freezer? Well, no, but I'm pretty sure I know what's in there. Please go downstairs and go check the freezer 
for what we have in the freezer. You know, my anger is getting a little bit more by this point. I understand that my daughter has ADD. I get that. I get that that means that what's in front of her at that moment in time is really important and everything else just goes out of her mind. She says it like this. She says, my mom, my brain is like a sieve. And it just kind of sieves out anything that I don't feel is important in that moment. <laughs> and it's an accurate statement. It's actually an accurate statement. Anyone who knows someone with ADD, this is an accurate statement, right? Whatever's important to them, in front of them, that is what stays, and everything else just dissipates. That's why we have lots of lists in our house. That's why James and I share a calendar, and every detail goes on that calendar. It's a way to keep our anger down, right? So I'm trying to leave this morning, and my anger is getting a little bit more. Like, seriously, how have you not checked? Well, we get in the car. She goes down. She gets in the car. We're driving down. I'm like, okay, so you got your grocery list. Yeah, but I don't have it typed up yet. We'll type it up. Well, I can't text it to you because I don't have Wi-Fi, so I'll do it when I get to the church. No, you won't. You'll type it up right now. She's like, the only thing I'm not sure about is I don't know if I need sour cream because I didn't actually check the fridge. <sighs> like, are you kidding me? And it's a good thing that her cousin was in the car because it kept my anger a little slower. And I'm not sure it wouldn't have been that slow if she wasn't in the car. Because then you get mad at her and her poor little face is like, what did I do wrong? Like, I didn't try and do anything wrong. I was just trying, you know? It's really sad. What is my point? My point is that human beings, we just have this short fuse sometimes. And some flies rightfully so. But I feel like that is like God, right? It's like, I told you to do this. Yeah, but, you know, things happened that day. Okay, go do it right now. I told you that if you want to understand and you want to feel connected to me and you want to deal with all of the emotions that you have in your life and you're like, why am I keep on snapping on people and why am I so rude sometimes and why am I so lack of grace? And God's like, well, if you spend more time with me, you'd become more like me and these things would become a little easier. Like, yeah, I just don't have time. God's like, I'm telling you. And he slowly gives us a little bit of consequence so that we're reminded again, hey, do what I told you to do. We get a little bit bigger consequence, and he says, hey, do what I told you to do. What God's saying is he's saying, I'm slow to anger. I'm long of nose. We should start using that saying. Let's bring it back, guys. Let's bring it back. You could totally make fun of someone, and they wouldn't even know. You are short-nosed. Thank you. Thank you so much. I really like my nose, too. Maybe not, but I think it would be funny. Slow to anger. God has anger for injustice. He just has a greater ability than we do to prolong it because he understands He understands that person's life. He understands how they ended up where they ended up. He understands our struggles every day. He understands our hearts. And so he gives us compassion. He gives us immense grace. And he says, I'm trying here. But eventually, I'm going to get a little mad. And you're probably going to get a consequence. And it's not because I don't love you. It's because I do. Slow to anger. The next word that he uses for himself 
is this word, I'm going to say it wrong, but that's okay. You don't know what it sounds like, so it's fine. Kased. It's a word that's almost impossible for us to translate because there isn't a direct translation. So it's often a word that if you read through different translations, they're going to use a different word each time. I think in the NIV, if I'm right, just making sure I'm right, abounding in love is how they put it. But what it actually engulfs is this idea of unconditional love plus loyalty plus generosity. So it's this idea of this generous, loyal love that God gives us. It's just this unbounding love that he puts on us, this generous love that is loyal to a fault. It's this love that doesn't change whether or not our behavior changes. There's this eternal loyalty to it. It doesn't change. It's always there. It's always present. It's a binding kind of love, one that often takes sacrifice on one of the two parties' parts. What do I mean by that? I mean that it's a love that God loves us so much that he knows that his love is going to take sacrifice for him. What was that sacrifice? It was to give us Christ so that Christ could then fulfill all of the consequences for our sin for eternity. Don't get me wrong. There is still consequence on this earth. There is cause and effect. You sin, you make a mistake, you're probably going to have a consequence in the earthly realm. Whether or not that's consequence on relationship, consequence on your job, consequence on your home life, there's consequences in the earthly realm. But what God says is he says, I'm going to take on a sacrifice because I love you that much, and I'm going to take away your eternal consequence. I'm going to take away your eternal consequence. He chooses to bind himself to that. This word is this binding, loyal, generous love that he binds himself to us. It's a beautiful picture. It's one I think we take for granted. Especially if we've been Christians for a while, we take this love for granted. We forget that it actually cost God a lot. And it really doesn't cost us anything. That the love he gives us costs him a lot and doesn't cost us anything. Why is that important to remember? Because it helps us have that same kind of love and, gracious, and grace for one another. When we remember how much he's given us, it reminds us that we need to have that for one another too. That we need to have that for a world that is broken, that doesn't know him yet. That we need to remember how much we have been forgiven because that's where forgiveness flows from. The last word is actually attached right back to the beginning of do we trust God? Do we trust him? Do we trust that he knows more, that he sees more, that he understands more? And the last word is this. It's emmet. It's faithfulness or truth. To be full of emmet 
is to be trustworthy. That's what God's saying. He's saying, I am trustworthy. Back to the passage, he was talking to Moses and he's saying, you were mad at my people. You were upset that they couldn't hold it together for a couple days, that they had forgotten all the miracles that, you've, that they've done or that I've done in their lives. They've forgotten it all. In the couple days you, you went up to the mountain, they've forgotten it all and you're mad at them. God's saying, but wait a second, that's not yours to be mad about, that's mine to be mad about. He's reminding Moses, just like we often need the reminder of, I am trustworthy. You can trust that I truly understand what justice looks like. You can trust that I truly understand your situation and what has happened. It becomes easier to let go of the anger of what's happening in the world when we understand that God's justice will rule one day. Don't get me wrong, anyone who knows me well knows that I struggle with this, that the pain of what's happening in the world will cripple us sometimes. I don't watch or listen to the news very often because I probably wouldn't get out of bed in the morning because personality-wise it's like, I want to fix it all and I can't. I want to feed every child that doesn't have food. I want to bring them in and show them that they're loved and they're cared for. What's happening in the world still will overwhelm us because when you have God's heart, it should break your heart because it breaks his. But the anger and the need to produce justice on our own changes. When we trust that his justice is above our justice, that his understanding is above our understanding. Because a gracious, loving, kind, compassionate God doesn't send anyone to hell, but if people choose that path, that's not up to him. Because God's justice is present, and we all want justice to be present. We want there to be justice for the unjust. But God says, hey, I'm giving you a way out of it. I'm giving you a way out of eternal consequence, and you have a choice whether or not you take it. Because if God didn't give us a choice to take that, we'd be in a dictatorship, not a relationship. God says, I'm not forcing you into relationship with me. I'm not forcing you to choose to spend eternity with me. But I'm giving you an option that if you want to, here it is. God's justice and his love and grace are not opposition from one another. They don't oppose one another. His justice always flows through his grace. His justice always flows through his grace. I'm going to call the worship team up. As they come up, and we're talking about this, I have a couple questions for you that I want you to answer. The first question is, I know that some who are watching online and some that are present here may have not even accepted that free gift. 
If you haven't, if you haven't actually entered into a relationship with the Lord, or maybe your relationship with the Lord you've kind of walked away from and you need to re-engage that, we want to give you an opportunity this morning to do that. If you are online, you can connect with one of our online uh, host teams that will uh, pray with you over that. If you're here in person and you've never entered into a relationship with the Lord, if this idea of what Christ has done for you is foreign, we want to pray with you. We want to start that journey with you. You can come and pray with one of our team that will be over in the corner after the service. It is this amazing gift, right? I think sometimes we forget what an amazing gift we were given. We become a little bit like spoiled brats who don't really realize the inheritance we've been given. The second question actually comes from that, is that have we forgotten? And have we forgotten to trust God's attributes? Have we taken on justice for ourselves instead of allowing that to be in God's hands? Are we looking at the world through ungodly eyes and thinking that it's our job? It's our job to point out all the wrong and to make sure they know it. Or are we leaving that in God's hands? What we learn from this passage of scripture is that God's attributes, who he is, is so perfect and so in balance that I don't see an alternative but where to put our trust. Our justice, our view of the world is so skewed by our own experience, by our own emotions, that sometimes we need to come before the Lord and we need to repent and say, God, I'm sorry, I've been trying to do your job instead of doing mine. And I wanna give us an opportunity this morning to say, hey God, I haven't trusted you. I've forgotten that you're trustworthy. Even in our world today, I've forgotten that you're trustworthy with my life. Whether or not I live or die, it's actually in your hands. Whether or not I have little or much is in your hands but what you've promised me is eternity and like the apostle Paul says I count it all as lost for the sake of knowing Christ none of it matters none of it matters if I don't have relationship with you I just want to give opportunity and to pray over you and if you want prayer for either of these things, there's going to be our pastoral team over in the corner over here that will pray with you. If you need to uh, re-repent or recommit your life to Christ or you want to start that journey, we're going to be there. If you want prayer over maybe you need to repent to the Lord because he said, I've forgotten to trust you. We're going to be there to pray with you that, over that too. Let's pray. God, I just thank you that your attributes of who you are give us a safe place to put our trust. That when the world seems like something we can't understand, when there seems to be so much, when the waters seem so muddy and right from wrong doesn't seem as clear, God, I pray that we would put our trust in you. God, that we would remember 
that you are the one that is capable of understanding it all. We repent for the times where we've tried to do your job or we've gotten in the way. God, we give you control back this morning. Say, God, have your way in us, through us, and in this place. Thank you.